Hey everybody, welcome to the Canadian Job Search Podcast. My name is John Rubero and I will be your host. I'll be interviewing recruiters, hiring managers, and experts to help you land your next job sooner. Just a quick reminder to download your high converting resume template that's been proven to get you more job interviews at resumetemplate.canadianjobsearchacademy.com. And if this episode resonates with you, then remember to subscribe, comment, and share. Thank you and welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Canadian Job Search Podcast. My name is John Rivero, your host, and today I've got a very special guest in Christopher Carter. He is an author, speaker, and executive coach. He is the founder of Epic Life, a website devoted to conscious leadership that has a daily meditation practice for thousands. Chris, that is totally amazing. I love it. And he's also got a new book called Permission to Glow, a spiritual guide to epic leadership, and release, which releases this month, October 2021. Well, Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, it's so great to be with you, John. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I know. Yes, me too. You know, just uh, as we were preparing for this particular call, you and I, I, I think we had a really good flow of conversation. I know it's going to carry through into what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast, which is really around leadership in terms of what's happening today out there in the environment. And um, so let's get right into it. So, Chris, what is different today? What is different in today's work market? What is different about leadership today? I'd love to get your perspective on that. Well, it's it's really the central theme of the book of, of conscious leadership. I, I think that conscious leadership is what's being asked of us, you know, by by our crazy volatile world that we're in, um, or some you know benevolent uh, um, source that's you know, trying to get us to just be, be kinder to one another. And we, we see this disruption happening everywhere, manifesting in every form. So if it's not the disruption of supply chains, which is very real at the moment, mm-hmm. to, it's the disruption in how we work. Uh, it's, you know, moving out of offices into the home office. It's climate change, certainly the lack of political discourse. Um, there, there's just all these forces all around. The, the military calls it Fuga, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And I think we all experience that on some level. And, and the leaders that I work with that are taking that invitation to look at themselves and saying, oh, I can show up differently in this. It's required that I'm sh- to show up differently in this. Um, they seem to be rising to, uh, to, to a new, new standard and, and kind of charting a new course. So I, I think it's simultaneously both the ex- most exciting time to be alive in history and also at times the most uh, terrifying and, and frustrating. So, so, so let's touch on that. So exciting. Let's talk about it. I know you and I, we talked a little bit about this. But what's exciting about what's happening today? You know, I think that we are moving out of the era of human resources. And by that, I mean, if, if, we, if we just minimize these people that work for us or around us as resources, that's a very like Western culture thing to do. You know, and, and, and a spiritual teacher once told me that, you know, when a Native American or an indigenous person walks into a forest and looks at trees, they don't see resources, they see their family, you know? Mm. And so the fact that we're moving beyond that, I think is, is really exciting. You know, we're seeing the rise of, you know, finally overdue more women in leadership uh, stepping up and, you know, taking on some really formidable threats and challenges. To me, that's exciting, you know, as a, as a father of daughters and uh, as an espoused feminist and, and trying to, you know, encourage more female leadership to step up. 
um, I think that's an exciting sign of things to come, you know, and, and also this, you know, the, all the innovation happening around how we connect, you know, coming out of this pandemic, or, or if we're even moving out of the pandemic, that's like, you know, um, kind of touch and go depending on the day. But I, but I think it's reinventing how we connect, how we interface, um, you know, these, these Zoom calls. I, I've been on them for years because I always work remote. But mm -hmm. to see this, you know, pervasive force pulling us into these, you know, digital rooms, I think it's allowing us to be everywhere at once while being distributed. And to me, that is truly exciting. I know it can be crazy making for some people. And there's a lot of etiquette training to, to, to be uh, administered <laughs> or whatever. But, but, I, but I also think that it, that is exciting. And uh, so th those are just a couple examples. Yeah, and that's and you know I'm with you 100. percent I, I think it's 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 given us, and I think about the workplace and and people that I know that have worked in different fields. You know, people who've worked in the financial field or people who worked in the legal field, being able to even work remote was something that wasn't even possible pre-pandemic, right? Like it, there was a mindset that said, "Hey, we can't do this; it's impossible." And now that we're here and that we're, we're, we're living this new world, this reality, actually, you, be, you said you've been living it for 15 years working remote. But for the rest of the world, I think it's really put us on a fast track in terms of what's going to happen and not what's going to happen. I think what's happening right now is the future. So what I'd love to get is just your insights in terms of what happened, what, what do you think is going to happen to those organizations that make to, that refuse to change and refuse to shift into this new reality yeah well i'm i mean i can jokingly say and it's kind of snarky <laughs> to say well good luck with that you know yeah. um, but, but the, the um the, fa the fact is is that you know i came from digital media <clears throat> which is a very forward-looking industry very technologically mm. savvy thing and i remember our leader being pretty adamant about not having summer fridays like if we were paying for all these offices we needed to be in the office utilizing the office you know, that in-person collaboration, which, which I do think is important. I think we have to find ways forward to have that. We can't replace that. And, you know, in this pandemic, there are so many companies I work with that are unquestionably having the most successful years that they've had in recent memory. I don't know if it's because more of us are at home consuming more things or whatever, but there's a, there's a lot of success to be had while their whole workforce is distributed. So they're navigating this kind of on, on both sides, like, wow, we're being successful. And then, you know, in coaching, what I'm looking at in leaders is how often do we relate to our success as a problem? You know, oh man, I'm getting my, my ass kicked. I don't have enough, you know, team to, to meet the demand. And that, that's a very real problem. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimize it. However, we have to look at all these things showing up at once and, and seeing the opportunity. And I think the, the, the leaders that I'm really impressed with are the ones that are taking a step back, slowing down a bit where, wherever they can and realizing, okay, there is an opportunity here to kind of rejigger, to rethink, to reimagine. And as they're doing that, they're kind of surrendering into the new, there's no going back to normal. I think we're, we're proving that out every single mm -hmm. day. There's only forward to better. And the ones who are reimagining that path there, some interesting things are happening. And um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not a challenging time. Um, it's certainly crazy making for many of my organizational leaders. And they are realizing like, oh, I'm connecting with the people that matter most on a deeper level. I'm, I'm right-sizing my work inside the rest of my life and living and working more in line with my values. I think those things are, are are incredibly important, and they frankly needed to happen for a long time. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, you know, your style of leadership, 
is something, you know, as, as a former leader myself, it's one of the things I believed in, right? Um, really taking the time to look after your team, but looking after them in the right way and giving them what they need. So, you know, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up today because I think this is where a lot of leaders today are struggling, right? And, and I've had the opportunity to speak with several people on this topic. And the one thing that keeps coming back from the candidates that are, are currently in the process of looking for work, one of the things they're looking for is a leader that's understanding, a leader that can appreciate them, a leader that really recognizes the work that they're doing for the organization. So from a candidate's yeah, yeah. perspective, sorry, go ahead, Christopher. Oh, oh no, I was just, gosh, it, it's so spot on, you know, and I, I think about th there's a definite generational gap in that too. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I consider myself a Gen Xer, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the only rule of Gen X is to never identify as such. We want to be invisible and not be known as such. Um, but my, my, some of my clients on the older side, they're kind of the young boomer generation and they mm -hmm. really identify with that, um, you, you know, in that generation, there's a lot more of that. What I do is who I am. So if I mm. lose a job, I lose my identity and I don't want to take anything away from that. That is painful. And it's, it's their reality and it's harsh. However, the, the opportunity that you're pointing to is that these younger generations demand to be seen, demand to be heard, demand to be, you know, experienced as full three-dimensional human beings. And sometimes as a Gen Xer, I even found like my, my kids are Gen Z, I guess. I don't know. There's a like, new generation every week. <clears throat> but the Gen Z thing is, you know, see me, hear me, I'm going to be outraged, you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying to relate and understand that. I'm like, wow, this is so inconvenient. You know, there's so many different designations of human beings now. Like, how do I keep them all straight? Like, as a Gen Xer that I could file that as being, you know, inconvenient. But it's unquestionably the way the, the world is moving. And I'm really impressed with, with the more seasoned older leaders who are willing to take that journey to listen to their younger, you know, colleagues and say, oh yeah, what do I have to learn here? You know, and what, or what is there to learn here? What is there to discover? You know, approaching this career journey through a lens of curiosity and the ones who do that, I, I'm, I'm just really inspired by. Yeah. No, a hundred. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate, and I, I, I respect those leaders that, have made that shift because one of the things that I've recognized and the younger people that are, are going into the workforce, listen, I've got, um, you know, I've got three step kids and, and they're young teens, they're 19 and 21 and they're going into the workforce today. And the one thing they keep telling me is they want to work in a place where they're respected in a place where they're appreciated, but also in a place where people will listen to their ideas. Right. And I, I think a lot of these older leaders or the leaders that are resistant to this new way of working, they're going to struggle and, and they're going to struggle in a way that uh, maybe wasn't as visible as it is today, as it was, you know, 20 months ago, it, it wouldn't have been a challenge because people just not a problem. We're just going to go get another resource, another human resource. Uh, but today they're just, you know, this is why we're entering this thing called the great resignation right now is because people are leaving organizations because they are incredibly unsatisfied with the, the leadership that they have, you know, and I, and I've got a firm belief where uh, you don't leave an organization, you leave a leader. Sure. And, and if leaders aren't aware to that, this is where they need to become more aware in terms of what they're doing and how they react and, and treat people. And I know one of the things that you talk about is just spirituality in general, um, in general, spirituality from a leader's perspective. So what I'd love to get is just some of your insight. What is that? What does a spiritual leader look like in a, in, in a corporate type of environment? Sure. And, and I'll tie it directly to something you just pointed to, which is 
more is being asked of leaders than ever before. You know, on paper, it's a hard job. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be responsible. And, and it's, it's a thin line between a great responsibility and a great burden, you know, to mm-hmm. be a leader. You know, there's, there's a lot of thankless aspects to it. Um, it's not just about the prestige and the job title and the dollar bills. All, those are great benefits, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's about uh, serving the universal good of your client base, of your customer base. And, you know, to me, that's, that, that starts to get into a spiritual mission. Um, you know, we, we don't have to identify as spiritual as such to, to be in this conversation, by the way, like whatever that benevolent forces, that God, divine, feminine, the, what, whatever the universe, whatever you want to call that unifying mm-hmm. force, it doesn't care what we call it. You know, it's just there for some of us if you're a person of faith, and it might not be there for others if you're an atheist. Um, but in, in the coaching of leaders that I work on in, in conscious leadership, my leaders are always looking to expand their capacity on some level, meaning they have to work on their interior to hold more, hold more mm. random chaos coming at them, hold more opportunity so their abundance doesn't become another problem of abundance. Um, hold more um, room for people and all of their various needs. I mean, more is being asked of us. And to me, that means that leadership can start to look like a spiritual conversation because there's proven practices that have been around for thousands of years, meditation, yoga, mm. um, reflection, contemplation that, that creates space for these things. And, and if there's one thing I think the world could be asking of us is to slow down, <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it'll feel counterintuitive because we could think that, oh, slowing down equals death. Um, but that's, that's not the right answer. Um, I call that being speedy rabbit. And when I, when I, uh, when my clients show up all jittery on their coaching calls and they have that shark energy, you know, the first thing we start doing is cycling down so we can actually even have a real conversation. That must be incredibly interesting. I can, I can only imagine. And, you know, and then the thought that keeps crossing my head is you got to slow down to speed up. Right. And, and this is where yeah. we're at today, right? You have to slow down in order to speed up, to get clarity in terms of where to move and, and in terms of, what direction to take the ship, right? Because I think what I've seen, you know, just based in my career is, you know, we're all rushing, we're all steaming forward, you know, we're, we're forging ahead, but we're not necessarily knowing where we're going. We just know we got to push forward, right? And I oh, think, you know, and in sorry, your, go ahead. In your line, well, in your line of work, the, uh, you, all the time, but how many people they practice it? We are slow to hire and quick to fire. You know, it's like, well, are you? Because in this moment, you're being spooked into like any warm body will do, you know, and we lost a lot of good men out there. And we're just going to bring a bunch of people in and, you know, and then, you know, they'll stick around if we don't have the courage to have the feedback conversation and coach them out of the organization. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of more often than not how it works. Yeah. Um, but the the willingness to slow down allows us to be more thoughtful with how we interview, how we you know, determine what's going to make somebody successful here and slowing down in conversation. So we're not managing the person, but we're coaching the person, we're leading the person that requires, you know, slowing down thoughtful conversation. But the good news is it doesn't need to require more time. Like, I think that's the misnomer. Mm. I think we can, I think we can create light touch, high leverage conversations with our people. And And my best leaders do exactly that. And they're in more of a coaching relationship with their key players and not an A, I need you to do this. And that's, you know, kind of left over from the industrial age and it's just not working anymore. Yeah. 
No, I, I, you know, the, the one line that keeps crossing my mind, you know, the opposite of what you said is we're, we're quick to hire and slow to fire, right? Because we're, <laughs> we're not open and transparent with the people that we're working with. And this right. is what I'm noticing as well. You know, this great resignation, people are leaving organizations, but people also don't even make it to the organization because their onboarding practice is taking so long. So people are getting hired and they're not showing up. Like, just imagine, right? Like, you know, I, and I, I think about early in my career, having a job and not showing up because it didn't feel like it was the right Sacrilege. thing for me. Or, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Our, like, our, fa- our father would show up on our doorstep and, step and strangle the life out of us. There was not an option. <laughs> it was not an option, but you know, it is different. It is completely different today in terms of what's happening out there in the environment and, and just with people's expectations, right? So meditation is is one of the ways to do that. And, you know, I, I've been preaching this for years, like meditation, take 10 minutes, slow down and don't think about anything or just, you know, take a guided meditation route. Uh, what I found is organizations that have ways of doing meditation. So incorporating it into some of their practice. I know there's a financial, a big Canadian financial institution. Uh, What they do at the beginning of every meeting that they host is they do a five minute meditation before they get started, which is great. Um, You know, some of the people think it's a little bit hokey and Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, just because they're not used to it, but it's definitely one of the ways I believe organizations need to make that shift. And in order to get the clarity for the future, that's what they need to keep doing. So, um, yeah, no, I, I love what you're saying. I think it's incredibly important that, you know, people pay attention to this, especially the leaders out there or the candidates that are looking for uh, the right leader to work for. This is what you need to look for in a leader. So, what would be some of those characteristics? So as a candidate, you know, I got a big audience that, li- that are candidates looking for work today. What should they be looking for in a leader when they're connecting with leaders or looking for opportunities inside of uh, th- organizations? Yeah, thanks for asking this question, because I mean, I think we, we can realize that we are just as much interviewing the prospective employer at this point as they are interviewing us. So we don't need to show mm-hmm. up trying to just prove ourselves worthy of getting a job. We need to know that they are somebody we can partner with for this segment of our career, you know, and in conscious leadership, one of, the, one of the concepts I love is just this concept of embodiment. Meaning, do you sense a congruence between their spoken word and how they show up, like what they're bringing into the space? And I know this might th- seem ethereal or woo-woo or weird, mm-hmm. but you can you get a vibe when you say how you know if you ask somebody, "Hey, how are you doing?" and they say, "Fine," it's like we well, don't sound <laughs> fine at all. Like how some part of us is like, "Can I trust you?" If you're you know BSing yourself or BSing me, but I would tune into their their embodiment. Do they have do they have joy? Do they have any ease? in their, you know, kind of cadence uh, that they're carrying themselves with. Um, are they, yeah, are they just congruent with how they're showing up? I think that's that's a first step. And then I would also ask how they think about um, things like emotional intelligence. Um, because there, there's a whole, you know, it's it's great for people like me that I'm seeing a, like a turning of the tides, like so many things that, are, that were filed as soft skills just a couple years ago, just, oh, meditation or, oh, self-compassion or, oh, uh, you know, all, all these, even coaching on some level, these things are becoming, you know, kind of the brave frontier of work, you know, and, and you know, trailblazers like Brene Brown, who's, mm. who's created all the research and books to back it up, that vulnerability is huge. I think a conscious leader or a great leader would be willing to be vulnerable in an interview. 
So when you ask a hard question, you could sense if they're answering it from an authentic place or if they're just giving you the corporate talking points. And if it's the corporate talking points, to me, that's a red flag. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, you know, one of the things I coach my, my, um, my candidates on is going in, being authentic, being genuine, being sincere. And if the person on the other side of the table is not doing the same, then maybe that's not the person you want to work for. So definitely something to be careful of. And, and I love that you brought up, actually, as you were speaking, I was thinking of Brene Brown and vulnerability and, sure. and what that means in today's workplace. It's, 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 it's a must, but I think it's, it's a must in a way in an environment where it's respected, right? Because not every environment is going to respect the vulnerability and they might see it as weakness, but maybe that's not yeah, the right yeah, environment yeah. for you. Go ahead. So in my book, the second, there's four permissions. And the second one is, it's, it's called permission to feel all the feels. And what, what it basically means is to work and live from a place of emotional intelligence, because when mm. we're willing to be honest with ourselves, we allow others to be honest with us and be honest with themselves. It gives them permission. We give ourselves that permission. It kind of emanates out. And I really think that level of connection is what we crave with people, but it's also scary for us. And we try to protect ourselves from it. So we say like, like oh, that's too weird. Or, and, and I'm not saying like, you know, just spill all the dirt about everything that's going on with you emotionally at every second of the day. Like there's an appropriate way to do this and an inappropriate way to do this. Um, however, being real with people, which I think is the, the, you know, the center of Brene Brown's work mm. is in service of creating that emotional intelligence, because the goal here is to feel seen and heard, to create that um, environment where people feel seen and heard. And in doing so, that's what keeps people around. We just wanna be connected. We just wanna know that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And mm -hmm. you know, kind of the tragic paradox of human beings is that we will do anything we can to protect ourselves from that. You know, like, oh, I gotta put on this game face to go get this corporate job. And it's like, well, the reason why you're looking for another job in three to six months is because you kind of game faced your way through the interview six months prior versus being real with what you're looking for, asking the, the interviewer to do the same. I think it sets you up to, to find something you might want to stick with for a while. Yeah. And, and so this is great. So you talked about one of your permissions. I know there's four of them in, in total. So what are mm -hmm. the four permissions and how did, how were each discovered? Uh, First one, we, we've, we've been talking about permission to chill, which is mm -hmm. totally radical, totally radical in Western culture. You know, it solves for that speedy rabbit that I talked about. If you're, if you're willing to slow down and just pause and reflect and be with what is, that's mm -hmm. creating a meditation practice. That's permission to chill. And I, I gave these kind of joking names to just, you know, allow leaders to know that it's going to be okay. Nobody's going <laughs> to die here if you just slow down, you know? Um, and uh, the second one, as I mentioned, permission to feel all the feels. Mm -hmm. the, uh, that's the, the path of emotional intelligence. And uh, the third one is why most people hire a coach. And what I think most of us are after in our job search, which is what I call permission to glow in the dark. Mm. And permission to glow in the dark is to find your vocation, to find your full self-expression, to not just pull down another paycheck, but to make a dent in the universe, to, to self-actualize on a, on a high-performing team. I think most of us are after that on some level. And yes, we have to conquer and work with our fear at all times. And that's what the darkness points to. Uh, so that's permission to glow in the dark. And uh, the, the fourth one might seem utopian, might seem Shangri-La at this stage, but I, I do have great evidence of, of organizations doing this. And that's to uh, give ourselves permission to glow in the light. And permission mm -hmm. to glow in the light, this is about transcending competition for collaboration. 
uh, if, if, our, if there is some benevolent force in the universe, I think it would want us and need us to heal and uplift the, the planet and the people around us. And, and that, that's the work of the leaders who have done those earlier permissions, who are, who are less concerned with proving themselves at this point and who are fully concerned with unleashing the power and potential of other people. Um, so it's, it's encouraging when I see that. And I, I truly think that this, uh, you know, kind of weird times we're living in is, is just a direct ask to give ourselves that permission. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. And I, I think, um, and actually I was going to ask you that question. Uh, so what does glow in the light mean to you and how is it different from glow in the dark? I think you kind of touched on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it, it's incredibly important that we shine, that we, we shine and we give back, right? Like I, I think a lot yes. of times, and even as leaders, we kind of, we, 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 we dim our lights to not shine too bright because we don't want to be known as the boastful leader or the, the pompous, arrogant, because we've seen some of those leaders, you know, they shine so bright that they kind of blind everybody. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to be careful with that. And I think, you know, going back and, and, and just kind of covering some of the things that you mentioned, like bringing that spiritual aspect to it where you're genuine and sincere. And, you know, I, I think leaders today need to be they need to just be honest with themselves, right? Like I, I kind of feel, and from what I've seen in the past, is they're not even genuine people. Like you almost create a, like you said, a different persona. When you're at work, you're one person. And when you're at home, and I used to have this belief years ago where I know it was the wrong belief, but you know, at work, I need to be a certain type of person. And then outside of work, I can be myself. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I don't want to fault them for that either, because they, they mm-hmm. grew up like in a in an environment and in a generation where that was rewarded and they need to put on the warrior face and go do the thing. And and, and that's, you know, and it still gets the job done. Let's be honest, it, it can be very effective business wise. But when you're talking about retaining people, not so much. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think about the great biographies of business leaders that, that I grew up on in America, at least, which is like uh, Lee Iacocca, who turned uh, Chrysler around. It's a great, it's a great biography. It's riveting. All of Jack Welch's chest beating, you know, bravado, <laughs> um, all this stuff. And, 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 but that, that time of, you know, hard, hardcore masculinity is kind of passing. And now people, and it's not just women, it's men, it's, it's everybody needing to be seen and heard. Um, I think it's just, um, you know, developing, it's, it's creating a demand for just like a softening, more uh, open leader. And, and I think that's powerful. It's, it's brave work. Uh, I highlight uh, one of my mentors in the, in the book, uh, former president of Sony Pictures here in America. So this guy's like generated something like $40 billion in movie revenue. He's a beast, but he's meditated twice a day for 45 years. Never told that to anybody. You know, maybe like a couple months ago, he's like, oh yeah, I've been practicing transcendental meditation twice a day for 45 years. I'm like, you left that part out, David. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a total game changer because he led through times of crisis. He, he you know, um, un, un, unprecedented growth. He's always had an easy, uh, steady hand, super high emotional intelligence, won all these awards for culture. And is, you know, in his spare time, you know, of leading the fight to end hunger in Los Angeles. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it is possible, you know, it, it, we, we do have these blueprints walking among us that we can borrow from. Yeah. So, so here's, and just kind of speaking to this, and, and this is the one thing that's popped into my mind and I hear it from people all the time. I don't have time to do meditation, right? Like you just proved yeah. an executive at Sony pictures, right. uh, you know, did it twice a day, 
right? So, so what do you say to those people? I don't have time in my day to take time to, to be with yes. myself and to yeah. literally get in tune with who I am. I uh, what would it. you say to those people? Well, I'd say for starters, you know, if you don't have 15 minutes, there's probably bigger problems in your life <laughs> and you might be beyond hope, but, but what we do in coaching, and I joke with them, I'll, the, yeah. I'll say you're filing this as additive, meaning you have to find another 15 minutes, but what you're not accounting for and, and yogis have proved this for thousands of years that action is not created equal. There's right action, which is highly efficient, surgical precision, highly leveraged action mm -hmm. that requires contemplation and meditation versus action for action's sake, which is what, where most of us live. So mm -hmm. I would say, are you willing to reinvest some of your, you know, lost action, lost time and, and file meditation time as subtractive. Like what kind of time will I get back if I'm just properly meditating? I jokingly call it like taking your meds. If you take your meds for 15 minutes a day, you'll get so much more back. Um, you'll make, you'll make better choices at the supermarket. You'll tolerate less drama in your personal life. And it, and it is clinically, it's like shown to be more restorative than sleep. So for, for years and years, I had to trade one hour of sleep every day for one hour of meditation every morning. Mm. And, and that was the best investment I ever made in my career. Like it transformed everything. Yeah, no, I'm with you hundred percent. I, I definitely, uh, over the, the last few years, it's something that I've been incorporating into my, my daily practice. I also, I also meditate. It's one of the things I preach to people to do. Um, but it, it, it's, it's definitely, it gives you more clarity in terms of what to do, right? Like we're busy all the time, but we're not busy doing, we're busy for busy sake, not busy because we're being productive or we're contributing or giving back in some way. So, uh, well, I mean, I can tell, I mean, I, I can yeah. tell the second you got on the phone with me, John, that you're a meditator, just because <laughs> you, you are in the conversation of that can be an emotional, difficult conversation for people, you know, finding mm -hmm. the right job in this crazy time. I mean, it, it, it could, it could spook us into going speedy rabbit in a lot of ways, yeah. but I could tell like how thoughtful and reflective and how comfortable you are in the ongoing conversation that that is to me that's a sign of somebody like that's willing to just slow down each day and just uh yeah. pause and reflect on it well, thank you uh <laughs> i don't even want to say i feel like i'm blushing right now but uh thank you christopher it's uh <laughs> yes i i you know and i'm going to pay attention to that as well i'm going to listen i'm going to listen out for that and actually for the candidates that are out there listen for that right listen for the leaders that you're meeting with, if you're doing interviews with people, I, you know, yesterday I just did a workshop on informational sessions and just listen for that, right? Listen for, for people in terms of what they're saying to kind of get an idea. And, and actually this is an incredibly important part of the job search process as well is you want to make sure that there, there is a good connection and that you can actually connect on a human level with the person that you're going to be working with. So this has been great. So Christopher, thank you for all this amazing information. If people wanted to get a hold of you or learn a little bit more about you or to learn about the book and where they could get the book, uh, where could they go? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, no, it has been great. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, the book can be found at permissiontoglowbook.com. That's all things book related. We're really excited about that. Mm -hmm. And anything related to my uh, executive coaching, uh, training for conscious leaders, workshops, that's all at thisepiclife.com. Okay. Yeah. So I will make sure that I include those links in the show notes so you guys can get uh, quick access to it. Uh, Christopher, I just wanted to say thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today, just to share some of these insights. 
I know today is different and you bringing this to light and encompassing it in a book is a great way to give ourselves a manual for those leaders that are, that are looking to make that change and that shift and aren't quite sure how I'm glad that they've got this resource in your book to be able to help them out with that. Oh, no, I, I, I appreciate you seeing that. And uh, I can't wait to run into you on the hot coals at a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power with event. We were talking about just before we started recording, we will run into each other yeah. stomping on the coals. I, I can feel Excellent. it. Yeah. Excellent. No, and you know what? I I know you're you're not so we're we're located in Canada. I know you're located stateside, but yeah, no, I am sure our paths will cross for sure. <laughs> Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, with that, I'm going to wish everybody a great one. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Canadian Job Search Podcast. Wishing you all a great one. Talk to you all soon. Take care.